The final season of Power Book 2, Ghost, begins. And for Tariq St. Patrick, it's the moment of truth. In the wake of being betrayed, pushed out of the drug game, and almost killed, Tariq is out for revenge. Will he prove to be like his father and do whatever is to be done to protect his family and his future? Or is he his own man? Power Book 2, Ghost, the final season. Watch now only on Stars and the Stars app. In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. Every pass, shot, and dribble is immediately consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, blood, and tears. Real legacies. Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year their year? You already know when and where to find these moments of unscripted, pure entertainment. The NBA Finals continue. Tune in on ABC. State Farm Insurance knows that understanding and investing in our cultural identity is paramount in protecting our future. We know what it's like to go from nothing to something, to wish that we had better financial literacy when we were younger. Luckily, State Farm is here to help. With funding programs like Project Ready, which is committed to education achievement and has already awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to black and brown youth since 2021. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. What's up, family? I'm your girl, Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. We're your hosts of Street Politicians, the, the place, place where the streets, the streets and politics, and politics meet. meet. So we've got um, an action-packed show today, Mice. It's good to see you. Uh, you look like mm-hmm. your allergy situation is rough. Oh, man, the allergy situation has been killing me. You know, my eyes been puffy for two days. This is the lowest they've been. So these little bags, I ain't get beat up by Mayweather and nobody. You know, it's, it's the pollen. I didn't get beat up by Mayweather. You're hilarious. No, uh, the pollen is real. Like, it's a thing. And I don't know. It's, it's like every issue that you could think of we're dealing with in this country because allergies were not like this before. So something is wrong because I didn't have allergies. And now for you, it's your eyes. I didn't have the eyes, but the cough was just consistent. I felt like there was hairballs in my throat. Yeah, that's what it is. And for me, it's all three. My eyes have been swelling up and itching. My nose was stuffed up and I, I had hairballs. I haven't really been coughing as much, but I feel it all in my throat. So yeah. these allergies it's, are really kicking us. It's like Murphy's Law right now. Whatever can go wrong, will go wrong. <laughs> there's a lot happening, but there's a lot going right. And so we have to be thankful for the fact yeah. that we're alive and yeah. we're here to tell the story um, because there are so many people who are not here to talk about, um, you know, their their lives and their situations and their circumstances. And so, um, you know, I think about all the time, almost 600,000 people, it may be 600,000 people died in the last year in some change. Um, and, you know, COVID related is what I say, because some folks say they all died from COVID. Well, I don't know if everybody died from COVID, but what I will say is that they um, died more than likely during this time when COVID was absolutely an issue, but they could have died because of the incompetency of doctors, hospitals, the vulnerability of our system. The fact that when uh, we first learned of COVID, a lot of medical professionals did not know how to treat the, um, the pandemic. They didn't even know what was going on. And so people were sent home. People were given treatment that was not good for them. I mean, so many things happened to devastate our society. And here we are trying to piece it all back together. And so 
Uh, it's just good to be alive. And we got a show where we're talking about someone who lost their life. You know, we lost their, lost their life due to police misconduct and police brutality. And we also have another guest who is someone who is a friend of mine, someone I've met throughout the industry. You know, one of his sons had been incarcerated for over a decade, mm. you know, for a murder where they have absolutely no evidence. They have no weapon. They have no witness. And he's been denied bail and he's just, and he hasn't even gone to trial yet. And he's in Africa and he's been, um, you know, accused of murder. You know, I don't even understand all the circumstances, but we'll have his father, you know, Roger Bonds, who someone who's known in the industry to come and talk about, you know, the dynamics of his case. Yeah, and first we're going to be talking to the family and attorney of uh, Ronald Green. The last few days, um, we have unfortunately been bombarded with yet another video of another black man being murdered. Um, very similar to George Floyd, what we see in this video is traumatizing. Uh, Ronald Green, the way that he is being murdered right before our eyes, the sounds that we hear, the distress, um, is something that we cannot continue to have as a reality for Black men and Black people. Um, you know, I, for one, as I, I continuously say, I'm traumatized from videos. Now I'm at the point where I'm afraid for the sound to play on my phone when I'm scrolling on in, on social media because I don't want to hear screams or, um, or or the types of noises that you hear in these videos. Um, that's a form of PTSD, and I think that you know when I when I look at the makeup of the um, COVID nineteen uh, violence against Asian bill uh, that was passed or the uh, violence against Asian act. Um, that was recently passed, one of the things that is so significant about the bill is that it has a mental health component. It has a component that is specifically designed to address uh, the, 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 the PTSD that the Asian community is experiencing as a result of the abuse of their loved ones. Um, wouldn't it be amazing to see that in our communities, we have the same that the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act would pass, although it is yet a moderate bill that um, does not go far enough, but nonetheless, there are some important pieces of the legislation that can address some forms of accountability. Um, and wouldn't it be great to have all of that coupled with mandatory uh, spending for mental health services uh, in our communities and for those of us who have, whether we acknowledge it or not, whether we know it and whether we've identified it or not, are dealing with the trauma of blackness, the trauma of being black in America, because certainly that is a thing. Sure is, man. We, we need that and we need a whole lot more. So, you know, let's just get into this show. It's going to be very informative. It's going to be a very painful, you know, just understanding just the dynamics, just seeing Ronald Green's video just touched me in a manner, you know, that that almost brought tears to my eyes, you know, and and also with my friend Roger Bonds, his son, just being incarcerated, being falsely accused, and actually spending seven years, you know, in prison for a crime I didn't do, understanding that you sitting spending 10 years in prison with not even a trial, 
you yeah. know, would not that you I've I've never heard. So I'm I'm really interested for him to give the the particulars and the specifics of the situation. So this shows yeah. something that we just need to get into. So this this week it's just a lot of weird energy, right? There's so many different weird things happening um, that you know I think we're 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 really fighting multiple battles of evil um, that is just plaguing the world. And um, there's been so much crazy energy online, people fighting and fussing and this relationship went bad and these people said this and folks having to apologize and all types of things um, have been happening. And I was reading the post that you put up actually, where you were talking about men that are sitting around just gossiping about other men. And it's crazy because Oftentimes, I think my as an influencer or a person with influence, let me say, um, people think they know exactly what you're talking about when you post something, because there may be other things happening in the world. And so it was very clear that folks felt like you had to be talking specifically about what was happening with Kwame Brown and Charlemagne and all of that stuff. They just immediately assumed that that's what it is. And people don't recognize that we have people who sit around and gossip about us all day. So it might converge, and perhaps you do have an opinion on that, which that this show is not to discuss that. But it's like folks just start jumping on the bandwagon based upon or against you, if you will, because of whatever their issues are, whatever they saw in the media. They have no idea of like what you may really be dealing with in your own personal life. And I don't even know what I'm talking about, but I'm assuming that after seeing some of what was being said about you last week, that you may have been talking about your own situation as well. I mean, the bottom line is that it's just a plethora. <laughs> right. It's, it's just overwhelming. You know, I listen to I listen to people tell me about who I am, what I've done, what I haven't done, that I've never met, that don't know nothing about my life all the time. I listen to other people talk about people that I know about their life, that I know particulars that they don't know about. And I just see it, and it's, it's like a cesspool. And it's like the internet is, is so built on people talking about other people negatively, right? Because if you, if, you, if you uplift somebody and you talk in a positive way, nobody cares about it. You know, when you look at Kwame's situa situation, it was things were said about him that people grabbed onto. Then he said back, "Now everybody's grabbing onto it, right?" The minute he just starts talking about positive energy and just starts talking about that, nobody's going to care about that no more. Everybody's going to fade away because the drama no longer exists, and people understand that. It's unfortunate that there always has to be a level of drama attached to our people, a level of disrespect, a level of downtrodden, a level of gossip. You have to literally just be talking about somebody else to garner attention and in a negative way. And it's and, and when you look at this internet and you look at YouTube, YouTube has is building a whole army of people that do nothing more then talk about people they don't know as yeah. if they actually know who they talking about. Like a fact, like they act like they come from a place of facts. They talk about, they sit down and they professionally sit down and they talk and they say, well, such and such did this and they title your name and the title and what you did and what you said. And they never seen you, met you. You never had a conversation, nothing. And you know, and it's built off this misinformation and disrespect and, it, and it's gossip. And it's to the point where it's like, who who condone this? Who made this the thing to do? You know, why are we so 
easily gravitate into this level of negativity and stupidity and misinformation. But some people would push back against what you're saying and they would be like, well, actually, it's not true that I don't, uh, you know, not that not everyone wants to hear negativity. And I think there are a lot of people who come to our pages specifically to tell us that, well, we're with you. Don't pay attention to that nonsense. Focus on the people who actually care, right? The people who actually are positive. And so I think we, we could do a better job of focusing our attention in the right direction because the detractors are always gonna be there. Um, I do wanna talk about though, as a result of that, my thought of the day. In the comment section, when you ask, you know, who raised these people? And why are they, you know, why are grown men just sitting around gossiping that the response was a lot of women bashing? Oh, they were raised by single mothers. They were raised by their mama. The mamas did it. The women did it. It's all females. And I'm just trying to understand that's my thought of the day. Why do we associate the bad behavior of men with women instead of understanding that there also are men who have raised men that have just turned out not to be shit. And, and I'm going to give a little pushback because now, you know, there's a little debate here. Well, and, and also, and also, I don't know whether, it, what about two parents being responsible? Even if you, even if the woman did take care of the father, the, the, the man alone, right? Or raise a son alone. What is there to be said about the fact that the father wasn't present? Like, why do we just automatically have to say that a, a man who is exhibiting some form of weakness was just raised by a woman when I look at someone like you who was raised primarily by your mother and you're a very strong man. So what does that say about her? I, and I agree with that. But what I also would like for you to, to understand is there, there are certain attributes and certain actions that we have gone to attribute to women. Like when you talk about talking, my mother and my grandmother and her sisters used to sit there and talk about, well, you know what happened, girl? Boom, 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 boom. And I had a stepfather and I had a grandfather, right? I never seen them really do those things. Not saying it was a negative or bad thing. It was just things that they did. The girls would sit around and they would have, you know, talk over tea. Like, yeah, though, these are things that have been attributed to women, right? They sit around, they have these conversations. I would see them and my sister would be engaged. My father, my grandfather would be like, get out of the room and come in here with the dudes. When you don't sit around talking, if I said too much, if I gossip or said something too much about someone else's business, I would be scolded. So I think when it, I don't know if they're saying that it's a negative thing or is a positive thing. I think they're saying that when they're sitting around and having conversations about what's going on and things like that, were things that they attributed to seeing women do that men weren't customarily, ordinarily, or primarily supposed to be doing in their household. Because it wasn't okay for me to do it in my household. It wasn't okay for me to have conversation. It wasn't okay for me to go and have a conversation about my little sister or say my little sister did nothing. I would get in trouble. You know, mom was like, what are you telling me? Like, what are you doing that? What are you gossiping? Like, those are things that just weren't attributed to men in that day. So I understand your point of view that you see it as a negative. It's, it's seen as a negative when it's done by men, but if women were doing the same exact thing, there wouldn't be men up there like, yo, why, girl, why girls gossiping? Because in their minds, they attribute that behavior. They attribute talking about what's going on in this person's life and what's going on in that person's life 
with women, not saying it's right or wrong, but it's something that we grew up with a narrative that was given to us that some of us actually seen. Yeah, but I'm saying that the narrative, I think, is um, unfair um, and it's not balanced. And the reality of it is this. Yes, I do understand the whole idea of women talking and being more um, in conversation about things and who's doing what, right? I understand that. But I'm asking for us to look at this from a broader perspective. If a man, um, it, 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 whenever we hear of a number of negative, um, I, I guess you would say things that people see to be negative. If anyone says who raised y'all for whatever, oh, they were raised by women. They were raised by females. We often hear the negative characteristics of men, the weak signs of men being associated with women in their lives. And not enough, first of all, I know several men that gossip, that had fathers, right? I had, my grandfather um, was very much so in our lives and he definitely wasn't a gossiper, that, that, but that doesn't stop my uncle from being a gossiper, right? Some people have certain traits and maybe being around women helps to increase those traits. But I don't think that, that it is a narrative that we should be okay with sharing or putting out there or spreading or perpetuating because I don't believe that that is the, the, the super solve to understanding the uh, weakness of a man. I think I there are a number of things that play into why, and I, and I don't just think it's a weakness of a man. Let me say it this way. I'm not sure that just because a man is talking about another man, that that makes him weak as much as it means that his integrity is not intact. So, and that's something that can be taught by a woman, a man, by anyone. Well, what, what I would say is this, what, what, you know, because for me, my grandmother probably was one, she wasn't a person that really gossiped. She would talk to, she wasn't one of those people that really just did a lot of gossiping. You know, there are other people and a lot of other female women in my family that did that. My grandmother wasn't really one of those people that went around talking to people. She didn't like that at all. So what I will say is I'm, I'm, I got to give it the way I take it, right? Because when I see men, you know, do things that I attribute, that I would give a pass for a woman, right? It's certain things I don't think it's weakness. I think it's, it's feminine attributes. You know, I wouldn't call it weakness. I think there are male attributes that we look at things that men should be doing and there are female and women attributes, right? So I think there's an attribute of what women are talking about and they, they get into and they have these conversations and they lash out and they get a little more, as we say, quote unquote, emotional, not as a negative thing. I don't think we see it as negative. If when my mother is screaming and crying about something like that, I don't see it as if I see my father doing it, right? I don't, I'm gonna have a conversation with my father. I would, oh boy, if my if I had a daughter, when I see girls, you know, have a, a level of crying and all these things in a way that I attributed to my boy, we just handle it a little different or we were taught to handle it different. Maybe it was the wrong thing. Maybe we was raised wrong, but I'm just trying to tell you, I'm going to give a pass to the girl for having those things, doing those things that I'm not going to give a male. So that's how it balances it, right? So we don't see it as a weakness when women are doing it, but we see it as if a, a woman is doing some things that maybe a man is doing, we might say, 
you might say, yo, that's not something that a woman should be doing. That's not ladylike. I, I hear women say that all the time. Women that do things that men do. And I hear a lot of women say, hey, that's not really ladylike. You know, that's that's not something that a, a lady should be doing. A woman shouldn't carry herself a certain way, right? Because you have certain attributes that you attribute. So I think when we look at this conversation about gossiping, is the gossip when you when you talk about even the, the term. When you talk about gossip, when you look at gossip columns and all these things, there are women who are in control of those things. They got TV. I mean, they're either women, they are either women are in control of this, or they are males who identify as women, or there are LGBT males who are attributed to those situations. There, there are feminine, I, I show me, show me a gossip site. Show me something that says a gossip site that a man runs. I think I'm I'm looking at it from a broader perspective. I do not think that just because a woman gossips, which I think all people gossip, to be clear, because I know men that are uh, just their men and they gossip too. In fact, oftentimes some of the information that I've been able to get about things that I'm looking to find out, I know to call some brothers who know more about what's going on than women. And I think that men don't often understand how they participate in gossiping. It might not look like sitting around the kitchen table talking, but it certainly looks like pillow talk. It looks like sharing information with another friend about a woman's business. I mean, about your, your, excuse me, sharing information with a woman about your friend, your male friend's business. People gossip. And, and that's, that's a, I think that's a human thing. I don't know if it's definitely men, women, or otherwise um do i understand that women have a tendency to chat more sure absolutely i think that that's true but what i have an issue with is when we say okay these things about a man are considered to be weak or what have you and we just immediately assign it to the fact that well because he was raised by women um, that's why he's doing these things. When in fact, their fathers in the household sometimes and their sons can turn out the same way. I think that's, it. to me, it's problematic. I personally feel like a woman could be gossiping all day and still train her child, her son, not to do certain things that she does. She does. I see women who right, wrong, or indifferent will tell their son, you don't wear these certain things. You don't, you know, uh, dress a certain type of way. And they are more, um, they are harder on their sons about what they believe to be, as you said, societal norms than some of the men. So I just, I, I personally feel like when we are critiquing men for, behavior that we don't agree with it should not be at the expense of women it should be that we as a black family are trying to understand where we all failed because even if it does mean that the black woman or that a woman um, being in the household and being the dominant factor uh ended up showing up in a, in a young man in ways that uh, we don't agree with we have to ask ourselves, when you say who raised you, maybe the question shouldn't be who raised you, the question should be who didn't raise you? Where was the man? Where was the father? And I think we're too comfortable associating things that we see to be negative about men 
with women either being present or not? I think I think it's a it's a conversation, right? That um that we have to expound on. I think there, like you said, there's societal norms, there have been hereditary things that passed down from generations. There are just certain ways that we believe that I was taught that men are supposed to move, you know, and, and, and like I said, I said, it's a double-edged sword. A lot of men get mad at me for calling them out and always be like, yo, but you don't say nothing when women do it. And I say, well, I don't have the same expectations of a woman, right? I call a man a snitch all the time. I would never call a woman a snitch. I don't have an expectation that a woman who goes out with a person that committed a crime is going to sit there and do 10 years. I just don't believe it. I there there and there are some who might do it. The, the majority of them, when they say, hey, we're going to make you do 10 years and you're not going to be able to be there with your 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 your, your family and your son, they're going to tell. That's that's what I've my experience and my belief is that I can't hold them to the standards that I will hold this this big tough man that has said he's willing to deal with everything that I will hold myself to. I don't hold any woman to certain standards that I hold myself to. And, and I also put those same burdens on people around me and males. You know, a lot of things, when I see women react a certain way, I'm not saying it's wrong or right, they just react a certain way that I wouldn't be comfortable with men act. And when I do see those men do those same things, they like, well, you didn't say nothing when she did it. I'm gonna say, yeah, because I don't have, I don't hold her to the same standards that I hold a man. Some of us do different things. If if, if my wife or my, a woman is hitting me and we get into a fight and she starts swinging, I'm not going to swing back. You know why? Because I don't hold her to the same criteria that I hold myself. I believe that I'm physically stronger. I believe there are certain things that I can do to her that she can't do to me. Some men don't hold that in the same regard. But if I see a man fighting a woman like she's fighting him with the same vigor, I'm going to hold that man way more accountable because I don't think that is manly attributes. So right. I'm just saying. But it's still, it's still is not what I'm talking about. I'm saying that when you do see these behaviors, mm -hmm. right, to order, and, and I'm not saying you did this because you didn't even say this. It was your, it was the people in your comments, but- I was giving you the point of view that maybe where they could be coming from. Yeah, like to automatically just assume that, oh, he must've been raised by women. He must've been raised by a single mom. To me, that's problematic. That's just, you know, my thoughts on it. And I also would say that while we're all trying to do better and get better at our understanding of so much of the patriarchy that we've been taught over time, that there's still so much work to do to unpack it. Because when we think about things like, you know, when my son falls down, if he cries, um, you know, I don't, I, I'm going to, which I did it, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely guilty of it. When Tariq would fall or he hurt himself, my thing to him was get up, brush it off, be a man. But if I see if my niece falls or if something happens to her and she cries, I'm old, you know, my sweetheart, it's okay. And I understand the femininity. I understand the softness. And we want, I want, I want for sure, a man to treat me soft and special and all of that. Absolutely. But I also know that part of the problem with why women struggle so much with being able to communicate with their husbands, their sons, their fathers, why sometimes little girls don't necessarily feel or understand certain things about men because their fathers are unwilling to show any level of, of, of uh, emotion 
that's a, that's an actual danger to our communities. It's a danger to the black family. So I think I don't agree with that. I I think I, I think I think lack of emotion. Okay. Because I think the emotion comes that emotion that you're looking from. My son gets it from his mother all the time. The no, that, but that's not. But just, that's why that's why that's why the the family unit is very important. The family unit is important, right? Because there are two separate entities that create this baby, right? So both of those energies need to be poured into the child, right? So when the mother gives this child this this softness and this energy, and he knows how to identify with that, and and she lets him do that, and then the father gives him this sternness and this level of strength, that creates the balance within the child, right? So when there's one parent raising a child, the balance is off, right? So what happens is if you have a, a male raising a male without any female interaction and the mother's not there, there's too much testosterone. There's too much of that because there's nothing else to balance that, right? Because as men, we don't know how to be women and we've never been taught to be women and we never will be. We'll never be able to hug our child with the same energy and the same softness that the mother hugs the child, right? So when the mother, if the mother is there, after they get that sternness from the father, they go to the mother and able to get this hug and this love and they're able to be this soft person with the mother and they understand when I'm with my father, I have to be a little more stern. It creates a balance. And I think what so, our children need is that balance. So let me just help you understand why that's actually killing us, that mindset. Because what happens is that when men don't know how to show a softness and kindness and sweetness to their sons, when their sons don't learn about the, the that the father also has a soft side, I'm not saying that it needs to be overwhelming, but there are too many men that are so stern and firm that young men end up learning that again, the only time a person is soft is when it's a woman. And that's why the people in your comments attribute the weakness in a man to women so because- let me just finish. Let me just finish. Because what they are used to seeing is sternness from my father and from my mother. She's the softer we are the softer person. And what I'm saying is that's why you have so many men killing each other. So many men that are unwilling to apologize. So I'm just giving you my opinion. So many men, so much of what we have experienced down throughout history has been the ego, the anger, the frustration, and the lack of understanding and communication between men. Because somewhere along the line, it was taught to us that a man was not supposed to have a softer side. Being softer, being gentle, being understanding, if your son falls and he hurts himself, being able to pick him up and say, it's okay for you to cry. I understand that you're hurt, but now we're going to get ourselves together and we're going to get back into it. You're going to be okay. That's not oftentimes what we see. What we see instead is get up. Don't cry. You a man. You don't cry. And guess what happens? You, that same attitude transferred. That's not accurate, though. That's not accurate. I, I'm just telling you. You guys are accurate because there are many men who've been taught that, right? And who have been successful, they haven't killed anybody, they know how to continue. Well, that's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm saying, though. So, what are you saying? Because I'm not saying that the men who are like that kill people. I'm saying it's why we see so much of it. And that's the 
I think I think for me the the fact that there's no balance in it, right? I think the fact that they didn't have a mother that gave them because the reason why I'm able to understand and deal with things and know how to deal with an aggressive situation when it's time to be aggressive and protect myself is because there was a balance. My mother and they would treat me like, you know, they was they would coddle me at times and then there was my father that'd be like get up and stand up. So I knew what there was a balance. I understand there was a balance. I understand when I'm playing sports, right? The but only thing saying, I suggest to you, the mm-hmm. only thing I will suggest to you is that I'm not the expert on this in this conversation. But what I know is that we have serious issues with men and their relations to one another and to women. And, and I believe my theory, we all have a theory, and I've, I've told you my theory on that. I believe, no, I believe, and also we have a serious problem with the way in which men see us as women and our roles in their lives, and again, associating us with weakness and negativity. And I believe many of the problems that we experience in the nucleus of the Black family is related to this idea that a man has to be the stern one. I'm not saying that there should not be, again, a balance within even our men, that we do know that there is somebody that we can turn to who will protect, defend, and do those things. But I think that over time, and unfortunately, I have to say, I believe that much of this attitude came from enslavement and this idea that men who had to watch their women be raped taken away from them and could not do anything had to 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 eventually create a shell that blocked them from having emotion to be able to deal with what they were seeing in front of them i don't think strength i don't think strength should be attributed with lack of emotion and i think that's that's, i think that's i think that's a false equivalency In in my opinion you're attributing strength for lack of emotion and i think those things don't go hand in hand. I think that we need warriors. We have warriors, right? We yeah, have alpha men. There's, there's, there's a such thing as an alpha, and I'm just trying to tell you, there's a such thing as an alpha male, right? And there's such thing as an alpha female. And when you're on the war and when you're going to war, you can't get up and say, my knee hurts, right? You can't get up and say and cry and say, my knee hurts, right? That's not what we're talking when you, about. When you, well, I'm just being honest with you. I'm trying to tell you. So when, when you see your child playing football and they get up and they scrape their knee, and nobody runs and hugs them because the coach is not going to hug them. The person that's on the other side is trying to knock them down. If you say your knee hurts, what happens is you 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 present a level of weakness that makes yourself a target that may, puts everybody else that's on your team in jeopardy. So problem, what I'm going to explain to you that there is a there has to be a balance. And no, I think there has to be a balance, but I think I think we're both saying balance. Neither one of us is able to provide a child with all that he needs. But I can't teach a child how to be a woman. You can't teach a child how to be a man. But I, but what I'm suggesting is that there should be balance. It's just that there should be balance that exists within both parents. There should be balance that exists within a woman. But that balance, even so if, if it's you are a mother, If you are a mother who yeah. um, lacks the ability to discipline your child, 
-hmm. who lacks the ability to hear a teacher saying your child is doing something wrong and to punish them and challenge them. That's not good for the child either. That's what I'm trying to tell you. That's why they have different subjects. Say what I'm saying. No, but listen. Everybody can't teach the same thing to me. That's why you go to social studies, you go to gym, you go to because everybody has a specialty in something. No, no, no. Men and women specialize in different things. As a parent, as a parent, there are moments when you don't have time to go get daddy or to go get so and so. You have to make decisions that are on the spot. It won't happen most of the time. And no, that's not true. I'm saying I think that that's what's wrong. Because that's it's definitely not true for me, and it wasn't true for my mother. It wasn't true for my grandmother. But I'm going to tell you, you come from a family who wasn't truthful. But there are a lot of families that they are, it isn't truthful. But most of the women that I know, most of the women that I know, I'm talking about the women I know, they also know how to discipline their children. However, the reinforcement may come in when they go home and they say, okay, now I'm going to let dad know about what happened here and he's going to have a different conversation with you. But what I'm saying is that when I'm out in the world, especially with a small child and they decide that they're going to do something that could put them in danger or whatever, we're not going to have a situation where they're punished and I'm letting them just get away with whatever. I'm not holding them to the punishment because I need to be the soft and kind person. And all I'm suggesting is that in that balance, a father, while being stern, yes, also needs to tap into teaching their child through example, their son, through example, what it is to have some level of, 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 of a softness for your child. Because well, only nobody's, through it. Nobody's denying that, though. So that's you, what, I'm saying. what I'm trying to tell you, the majority of the softness is, is not going to come from the father, just like the majority. No. Of the because my, my sons can run around here and, and she can be mad and pissed off. And when I, the level of energy that I put into talking to them, the sternness that I talk to them with, it just moves differently. And and, and I've watched her try her best to discipline. Yo, you gonna do this? Boom, boom, get angry, blah, blah, blah. And I and I look at them, and there's a level of sternness that I talk to them with, and move them with, and even put my hand and grab their hands with that they understand that this is a different. She they'll be laughing, and she be dead serious and mad, and and she can be aggressive. She's showing yo, I'm disciplining you. But when I have this level of sternness, it's just a different level of reaction. I and think because we are two different, we are two different beings. And, we, and we need both of those things to create. All I'm saying is I think it's definitely a conversation to continue. But what I know is the problems that we see happening, there's something there too. It is. It's, it's so because the lack of balance. The associate, I don't think. Listen, I don't think that there is just a lack of balance because like I said, I know a lot of men who were raised by their fathers, their mothers, and yet and still, they exhibit some of the weak, the thing that is considered to be weakness. I'm talking about overall, there is a very serious and significant problem with the relationship between men and the relationship between men and women. And so what that tells me is that you talk about the balance of woman and man, I think there lacks a balance within even the way that men have been taught to deal with one so another. You don't think that, don't think that been, there's a lack of balance between the way women deal with each other? You don't think uh, that happens? Well, well here's, here's what I know. Mm -hmm. Here's what I know. I know that we do not have some of the same issues. 
right? Yeah. We all know, because you talk about it all the time. We talk all the time about the fact that men um, and the relationship between men and women, the way that men sometimes treat women, the, the problems that we look at, we say all the time, why aren't men having more spaces to come together to work on some of their challenges? Just a, a, a plethora of things that we I, I have identified that we have to work on with our. So why do you think? Why do you think that men? Need I think, to come, I think, why I, do you think is that men need to come I together? I think, I think. I think. I think that the issue that we're speaking of, this idea that you and others may believe is something that just happened and don't understand it. It's a social construct. It's just that patriarchy is a social construct. I, I agree with that. That was introduced into our lives that keeps us from having the balance that we need. And we often have young boys growing up, running around like, I'm a man, I'm a man. And really it's a child or a hurt person inside that and needs their father. The but, but listen to what I'm saying, that needs their father not to, to be stern in the moment, but to show them love and compassion and softness, to let them know that a man can also meet the needs of what's in your heart, right? Not There's mothers who don't show their kids their, their, their son's softness. I'm not saying that we don't need help, but I do not believe that there's as many of us with that issue as there are what we see happening with our men. The mother is the primary caretaker for most boys or women in any situation. So if we're attributing situations to the lack of something shown by men, then we have to put some of the onus on women. But I'm not, I didn't say, that's why I wrote in the comment that I put on your page. And I also said here, rather than us pointing the finger at the women, it was the single household, it was the women, why don't we say it's a black, a breakdown of the family? and that men are also equally responsible for whatever issues we're ident identifying in women but or, or in a child that or in a man that we feel are negative characteristics but instead as soon as we identify I, say that, I just say not no, but this is the problem when you meet a man right i'm saying that's the way people were speaking of it in your comments and about gossip the word gossip is usually attributed right. to but 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 i'm saying to you that me being talking to men and dealing with men every day men also gossip what i'm just trying to say to you is that we when you when when someone says man you know he he ran out he did this he was so strong he took care of business we often associate that with yeah he must have had a great father he must have had a man that was there for him that did this, that, and the third. But then when we say he was weak, he was gossiping, he was that we go, oh, yeah, you know what? That's because he was raised by his mother. I'm saying that those negative stereotypes that we are placing on um, women is why we see women getting disrespected the way that we do by men. We have to stop associating the good things in a man with the fact that a man was responsible for it. But then when it comes to something negative, we automatically push it on a woman. And the only thing I'm saying is I do not disagree. I'm just trying to say when we talk about feminine assets that male possess 
And that's they, not a good asset. Being a gossiper is not an asset. Well, Being trying, a gossiper well, gets well, hurt and harmed. So that's well, what I'm trying to tell you. Well, it's never if you look if you look at the word gossip, like I said, it is a it is nine more than ninety percent attributed and accepted and embraced by women. No, and I'm telling you that that's not true. Okay, so Google the word gossip, right? If you go to go to YouTube and write gossip, right, you'll see a bunch of women that say such and such gossip, such such gossip. They have websites where women are gossiping. They have TV shows. They have they they they've utilized this word and they've utilized it and they. What I am saying to you is they're wrong too. Okay, cool. I'm saying that there are many people, just like white supremacy can be upheld by black people, just like you have a Candace Owens who will go out and say some of the same shit that you heard a white man say. Mm -hmm. I'm saying that the women who are owning gossip as being something that is our is an asset, they are wrong too. But I'm not even talking about gossip. I'm framing the larger narrative that when it comes to us looking at a man and saying he did these great things, we will often associate that with, oh, he had a great father in the household. Oh, you know, whatever. But then when it comes to I don't, negative, I don't, I don't really see where that happens. I don't see where it does happen. It does happen. It does happen. Well, if you look at most of, most of the, if you look at most of the successful people that we talk about, it's not a lot of men that will say they had a father like i've been looking around lately it's not a lot of them that had father. some of them did but a lot of them did all i'm saying is whenever a man or somebody feels like oh this is not good about a person they automatically associate it with the involvement of women versus and it's 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 really um negative stereotypes towards women and that's why People, that's why a young man could get up and disrespect his mama because the way in which he hears it is that anything that's bad, my mama had to do with it. The good shit, my daddy did. And that's not good. It's just not. I don't really agree with that, but I guess, you know, I guess that's a conversation to have, but, you know, I don't truly agree with that. So the streets are talking. You know, the streets are always talking. And now they're talking about the restaurants. You know, COVID is ending and we're going back to normal. And a lot of restaurants can't even find employers. People don't want to work no more. They're getting these PPP loans. You know, they, they still collect the unemployment and people are like, what, what the hell am I going to work for? You know, so the, the, even though the stores are open and these restaurants are back open, they can't even find people to, to be waiters and, and serve busboys or anything. So, you know, the capacity, they still have the whole load. I, I knew that there was going to be real ramifications from this pandemic. I told people this is not going to just go back to normal, you know, and it's going to be real hard for people to get back to anything that looked like what it used to look like. So one, just in keeping with the last conversation that we just had, it's not bus boys, they're bussers because there are women who are also bussers. Um, two, I think the narrative is wrong. I don't think people don't want to work. Um, I think people would like to work. I think people would like to get back to a, a situation um, where they can, you know, re-enter society um, normally, but people want to thrive. They don't want to just survive. And folks are not interested in returning to a workforce that still undermines its employees. 
And it's unfortunate because I was at Sylvia's restaurant in Harlem um, this week and I was talking to a couple managers and they were like, we get both sides of this issue. On one hand, people should be making a livable wage. Even $15 an hour is not enough as a livable wage, but they understand that. On the other side, they are not able to pay people, or at least they would have to if they have to, but they don't make the type of money that's necessary to keep a number like $15 an hour for all the employees that they would have up. They unfortunately will have no choice if we ever get to the point that the minimum wage is truly increased. So we're dealing with a situation where our federal government should be stepping in, not just to provide more unemployment, which people do need that, but also looking for ways to try to make the, the system more equitable and to, and to force companies, these big companies, to handle their taxes and their responsibilities so that the weight does not fall on small businesses and ultimately on everyday employees. So, you know, in the words of Nina Turner, um, you know, who is now running for Congress, hopefully she will become the next uh, Congresswoman there in, um, in Ohio. You know, when, when, when listening to her and also uh, AOC and uh, Ilhan Omar and a number of other individuals that I've been watching talk about this issue, I think it's not that there's no workforce. I don't think that people don't want to go back to work. I think people are in a situation where if they're making exactly the same, even just marginally more, they're trying to figure out how do we ensure that if I return to the workforce, that I'm not going to go back there and I'm poor and struggling. And I'm sure there are a number of people who in this moment, they're hustling their side thing. You know what I'm saying? Braiding hair, cutting hair, too. We just talked about barbers across the country charging people $100, maybe even more to get their hair cut. So I think people are trying to figure out other ways to supplement their income because they were not surviving prior to the pandemic. Why would I go back to work if unemployment? Yeah, I agree with that part. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? You're like, what am I going to do? So I think it's going to be very hard, man. Just looking at, um, just watching how, this, how everything is opening back up. You know what I'm saying? And you know, I have to, I've always been a person about this pandemic. Like it always was, a lot of it just don't make sense to me. You understand what I'm saying? Like, I just don't understand now how everything is open back up. They're saying that people are getting the thing. If you get the, the thing, you don't need to wear the mask, but you should wear the mask here. They had outdoor, indoor dining before. Now you got indoor, indoor dining. You know, now it's, Yesterday, the Knicks had 17,000 people. There's all these different things going on. The world is opening back up. Some places, you know, is at 75%, 50%. They saying probably by July 4th, everything should be back to normal New York City. So, you know, I, I hope that the restaurant industry gets it together. You know, movies are starting to come back out. Theaters, like I'm looking at um, previews for new movies. Um, A Silent Place Part Two, which was probably one of my favorite movies last year that I watched part one, you know, and they, they, they advertising it to be in the theaters. They're like, this is something you have to see in the theaters. So, you know, they, they're really looking for everything to go back. So I hope people decide, you know, hope some of this PPE money run out, you know, some of this. I hope it doesn't run out because violent crime is also up. 
And not everyone got access to PPP. That's why it's up, because people trying to get that P the PPP. PPP, PPE, I don't know which people one. Want the PPP, PPE, they want that money. Whatever. They want the money, you know, and 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 you know, and and you know, I just don't I don't know, man. I, I'm hoping with the whole vaccine thing. I hope that people get back to normal. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to feel that people want to get back to normal, but there's people like my mother that she's she walking in places and people ain't got on a mask and she pissed off. I'm like, my people don't got to wear masks certain places no more. She said, well, I'm going to wear my mask. You know, so I hope that doesn't, that might be another thing that's going to be hot this summer. People will have masks on, some people ain't. Some it's people, people are not wearing masks like they yeah. People are not, especially when the CDC says- New Jersey, you don't have to wear a mask no more. Vaccinated, you don't have to be, wear a mask. Everything is changing. We've been traveling. We outside. We know for sure. Things are changing. It's not yeah, the same. real, man. You know? So. Before we go to the next segment and have our special guest join, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsors. The final season of Power Book 2 Ghost is here, and no one's future is safe. After surviving a hit on her life, Monet, played brilliantly by Mary J. Blige, has to reckon with what led her to almost lose everything and to atone for the life she has forced her children to live. And on the other side of the coin, Davis, portrayed by the multi-talented Method Man, is suspended and on the verge of losing his law license. Desperate to survive, he fully embraces the criminal underbelly of his enterprise and finds himself working for both sides, loyal to whichever one benefits him most. And then, of course, there's Tariq, who finds himself at rock bottom and facing threats from every angle. With his future in the game in serious doubt and his family safety on the line, will he lean into the St. Patrick name and do whatever has to be done to get back on top? Like father, like son. Power Book 2, Ghost, the final season. Watch now, only on Stars and the Stars app. There are moments in life that are so special that you have to capture them and save them forever. They are one of those once-in-a-lifetime events, like your baby's first steps, the first time you bring your family pet home, or your daughter's first dance performance. With iPhone 15 Pro, more storage means you don't have to delete anything that can become a lasting memory one day. And it's important to be able to share these moments with family members who weren't there to see them in person. Store more, share more. Connect with iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T. Get iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T and get an iPad and Apple Watch for 99 cents per month each. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Limited time offer. Requires 0% APR. 36-month agreement on each. Well-qualified customers. Other terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash iPhone for details. In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. When the NBA championship is on the line, every pass, every shot, and every dribble is immediately, undeniably consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, real blood, and real tears. Trust me, I know what it takes to bring home a championship ring. The regular season is tough, but these games are a completely different level. Now is the time when legacies are made. The best team will bring home the Larry O'Brien Trophy and add their name to basketball history. Will we see a battle between marquee franchises or will we see a new champion crowned? Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year? Their year. These are the moments of unscripted, pure entertainment that only happen on the hardwood. You've waited all season for this. It's time to take it to the next level. The NBA Finals continue. Tune in on ABC. That's how we own it! So now we're going to be talking to uh, the family attorney uh, for Ronald Green and also uh, his two sisters. They're going to be coming up to really share 
uh, so much about what we don't know. It's so sad that, you know, for the last few days, we've been dealing with Ronald Green's story. And unfortunately, there's so much we don't know. Um, you know, of course, we all heard that he was killed. I remember the image, the, the picture of him um, standing with friends and family where that picture was sort of the focus that they had. Um, and they said he died in a car crash. I remember that. But I had no idea of all the circumstances that we're now learning that he was literally murdered by the Louisiana State Police. And um, we're going to be talking to them and just trying to understand what's happening. Tomorrow, I'll be traveling to Louisiana uh, to stand with them at a rally. Let's get into it. May 10th, just um, a few days ago, would be the two-year anniversary, May 10th, 2019, for when Ronald Green was literally beaten, tortured, um, uh, what else, just murdered by the Louisiana State Police. And now we're going to have his sister, Alana Wilson, um, his other sister, uh, Donnell Harden, and his attorney, our friend um, and dear brother, Attorney Lee Merrick. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us, man. We know this is, is a very harsh time. You know, two years ago, we lost, you lost a family member. And um, we just want to thank you for coming here and being able to talk about it. We want to make sure that you know that our organization, Until Freedom, and also this show, Street Politicians, is here for you and your family as a resource uh, to be able to help you to get the justice that your brother deserves and that your family deserves. So thank you both for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So Lee, you know, walk us through what we're seeing here. Um, a lot of folks two years later are finding out about this situation. And, and I, for one, am very frustrated with the idea that we are finding out about the death and the murder, um, if you will, of too many Black folks after the situation has happened, whether it be months or years. A lot of people are just finding out that this even happened. And they're trying to wrap their heads around what did we miss? You know, what were we, what didn't we have our fingers on for the last two years? They have been very effective in the cover-up. The idea was to make sure that there wasn't, wasn't public outcry about what was really, you know, a brutal murder. Uh, these men not only chased Ronald Green down and you know, initially when we first started hearing about the case, we thought that maybe it was a situation where Ronald was resistant and the cops went overboard. But th th that wasn't the case. Ronald immediately surrendered and they took some pleasure in torturing, brutalizing, beating, repeatedly tasing him to death. Uh, and then they, they told the family, uh, Alana, who's with us today, was the first person uh, to speak with the Louisiana State Police. And they told him that he died in a car accident after going through the windshield. There was no major collision that resulted in any serious injuries. All of his injuries were sustained by the brutalization of uh, the responding police officers. What happened? Um, we know, we understand the story that they're telling us, but as far as you understand, obviously, Ronald is not here to tell uh, the story for himself. But as far as you've been able to piece together, what took place that evening? Ronald Green was actually on his way to drive from Louisiana back to Florida, where he planned to relocate. Uh, during the drive, he was lit up uh, for doing, allegedly, and this is the first time we heard this again in that video, 
but for allegedly doing about 55 miles per hour on a 35 mile per hour speed limit on a dark country road where everyone drives about 55 miles per hour. He looked for a place to stop for a while and then it appeared that he led law enforcement into a brief pursuit. Uh, when he got to an intersection, uh, he decided he brought the car to a stop and immediately surrendered. By then, law enforcement had already become really, really revved up. The uh, responding officer was Dakota de Moss, who first uh, pulled Ronnie out of the car. He was tased before he got out of the car. In a matter of seconds, he was started to receive both abusive uh, conduct and abusive language as they pulled him to the, behind the car and they gave him uh, contradictory instructions. And we see this with law enforcement a lot. They'll wrap their arms around someone's throat in a chokehold and mace them in the face and then tell them to put their hands behind their back. But if you're being choked and pepper sprayed, it's very difficult to comply with the order to put your hands behind your back. Um, because he had he wasn't able to put his hands behind, behind his back immediately, they used that as an excuse to continually abuse him. They used those handcuffs, if, if you watch the video, as a form of brass knuckles, and they began to punch him in the side with the, um, with the handcuffs. The autopsy report ultimately shows, although we can't see this in the video, that he was beat about his head, about his head with a blunt object where he suffered serious injuries. And these men um, began to escalate the abuse used against them. It lasted for about nine minutes on the side of the road, the end of which three officers found themselves covered in Ronald's blood. Uh, he was hogtied and left on in a prone position on his belly. One officer, Officer York, stayed over him to make sure that he would remain in that laborious position where he could not breathe, suffering from his injuries. And, and occasionally every few minutes, he would find another way to torture him, like drag him by those chains, while the other guys laughed, created their stories, and washed the blood from their hands. You know, what, what's really crazy to me, Lee, is that this was two years ago. You know, like, I'm just trying to figure out what, what is the policy that allows them to be able to hide video footage and things that are very pertinent to someone's death for this, this amount of time, like I'm confused. So the, the, the law requires that these kind of public records, these video and dash cam maintained by people be accessible to attorneys, to the family through the Freedom of Information Act request, unless the attorney general for a jurisdiction makes the independent determination that releasing the video will impact an ongoing investigation. So the trick law enforcement has learned to do is keep the almost investigation open indefinitely. We saw something similar in Ahmaud Arbery. That video that we saw and we all responded to had existed for 70 days in the hands of the attorney general and the hands of the district attorneys in the region. But it's a trick that they've learned to play. If you leave the investigation open, although there's no active component of the investigation, you can use that as an excuse not to release the video footage. So what, what do we have to do to change that? Is there some legislation? Is there certain politicians you know, in office that we can say, hey, this right here is something that is detrimental to justice, is detrimental to our lives because officers know that they can pretty much just sweep cases of death where somebody was literally murdered under the rug. What, what is the process that we need to go through to try to figure out how do we change that law? I think that's a key question and people aren't, answer, aren't asking that question enough. It is not a part of the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. Um, to include a level of transparency or access to that video camera, uh, video footage, body and dash cam um, images that are controlled by the state. There, there's no legislation being currently considered that would make that accessible, some on a local level, uh, but no one is really taking that on as an issue. And I think that's certainly something that we should be pushing for. This George Floyd Act that we're all fighting in the past, how could that affect this case? 
Well, so two things. There's um, the first is that it would make it a federal crime to falsify police reports, and the federal government will have the authority to come in and take over what the state has failed to do, which is prosecuting not only the officers involved, but officers up the chain who are involved in the cover-up. They would know if the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act was law today, uh, that there will be federal consequences for this cover-up. The second thing is if you expand Section 242, it will allow officers to be prosecuted at a federal level for reckless acts. So most of the time you get an intentional act from a police officer if they pulled out their gun and they shot Ronald Green. Uh, that's something foreseeable that could lead to his death. They're going to say that they weren't as intentional with their actions here, that they were just reckless, that they were going about giving him a beatdown, a customary beatdown for running because he was resisting. Uh, and that their their behavior was reckless at best, and that's all considered a state level charge. And there is no federal um, crime that could be pursued for reckless behavior. If George Floyd Justice and Policing Act was law today, they would have committed a federal crime for the murder of Ronald Green as well. So, uh, Alana, um, I, I would assume there's a bittersweet feeling in this moment that you all have, because listening to your mom, Miss Harden. Um, and your sister, it seems like you all have been trying to tell people that you don't think what they're telling you happened to your brother is what happened. It seems like you all always knew that there was more to this story. And now the video is out and you have an opportunity to uh, to really uh, claim some level of, you know, I don't want to say victory, but you can literally say this is what we've always stood on. However, seeing him die in the way in which we know he died is obviously beyond tragic. And, um, and you know, again, I, I just want to say that, um, you know, I can't imagine that feeling. But talk to us about what, whether or not you feel vindicated, if your family feels vindicated in your um, advocacy from day one. We feel vindicated. Um, you have a lot of people that we've reached out to and now they're starting to come out. I mean, even law enforcement, that individuals that we know are starting to come out and post things. I mean, that's a big deal, getting death threats and things like that. So we kind of feel vindicated in a way, but I believe we have a long way to go because we know, as you can see, the cover up, it goes so high and so many people have died from the state of the Louisiana troopers. I don't want to say there's all bad troopers, but Troop F, they have a really bad track record. Yeah, when we're honest here, this is their policy, right? If a Black man runs in the state of Louisiana, they get a perfunctory beatdown. Like, that's what's going to happen. And that's why you had all these supervisors come to the scene uh, and ratify the behavior and say that it was okay. And so when we start to talk about pushing back to the state, they're caught. Uh, protecting a policy that has been long-term. Mind you, and it's important to listen to what the governor and what the Louisiana State Police officers are saying about the death of Ronald Green. They called it awful, but lawful. They believe that these men's acts, even what we have seen, despite the falsification of the reports, but just the brutalization itself was within the confines of what the their use of force protocol allows them to do. And that's really the tru truly scary part for me. You know, I just want to know, you know, Alana, I'm, I'm listening to you. I listen to your mother. You know, how is the family dealing with this? Like, it's it's got to be a lot of pressure. You know, be, being in doing this work, I know that, um, you know, you, you, you're you hopeful. You want the best. You think when you look at this, 
situation and you see that we seen literally what they did to your brother, that it should be an open and shut case. Are you feeling hopeful that you'll get really get justice or are you still down? Like what is, what is the emotions in the family? Emotionally, honestly, our, our family is torn. Mm -hmm. um, as you can see, my mom, my sister, <laughs> me, we're furious. We're upset, we're pissed. And we're walking around like we wish someone would. That's our attitude because we know what they did to our brother. And the fight that has been embedded in us, we're going to ride this thing out. But like I said, emotionally, we just feel like it's a seesaw. Every day is up and down. Mm. We're torn. Um, our family is in an uproar. I mean, honestly, our, our, I feel like our body has been dismembered. Because um, my brother, he was the oldest and, and I feel like he was the second mom to us. Mm. And uh, the loss that we experienced, it was so great on so many levels. I mean, not even just as a sibling, but as an uncle, as a father, you know, he was in so many different, so many different organizations. As you see, he was a, a Mason. He was uh, heavily involved in the, in the church men's group. I mean, he was a lot of things to everyone. And, and honestly, we will never be Being someone who's formerly incarcerated and having, you know, um, articles written about you and people talk about you, you know, the first thing they point out is the, the most negative thing that, you know, they said, oh, they found some level of drugs. I don't know if it's true or anything in his body. And he was doing all these things, you know, I know hearing when you when you a family member and you hear somebody talk about somebody that you know is probably one of the most beautiful persons you know in the world and they try mm -hmm. to degrade him and try to paint him to be this negative and this downtrodden person I know that really affects you you know and it gives you some level of vindication when you when they try to tell you that he did all these things and he did this and this happened and you saying to yourself I know that my brother didn't do that I know that my son didn't do that I know him and when you see mm -hmm. these things you know it has to be a feeling of like I knew that I was right you know so I just want to say you know my prayers are with you you know this man did not deserve no man deserves what he got, but this man seemed like a beautiful person. And, you know, I just want to tell you that my, my prayers are with you. I appreciate that. And I want you all to know, even though their autopsy says that, we had a second one. And it mm -hmm. said he had no drugs, no alcohol in his system. My brother said this. And I thought it was so funny. It was so real and so gangster. But she said, I don't care if he had two six packs on each side of his hip. That's right. They gave them no right to do what they did to my brother. That's right. Lee, we were just talking about the, you know, the their autopsy that says he had drugs in his system. Um, and yet Alana is saying that a second autopsy was done and there were no drugs found. And regardless of whether there were drugs or not, there's still supposed to be professionalism and certainly not a blatant murder of someone who is apprehended. Talk about that. Um, and you've been through so many of these situations. My son was actually talking, you know, saying how every time we see, um, you know, one of these cases, same thing, George Floyd, there were drugs, there was this, you know, what is the, how does that play into what we saw happen here? It only plays into what we saw happen in regards to what we allow 
uh, officers to do in order to fight the war on drugs, right? And so normally with the citizen um, who's being pulled over in a normal traffic stop, you can't abuse them. You can't simply beat and tase them and repeatedly harm them. You can't beat them to death, certainly. But it's actually allowed for drug users under the law. They use something called cocaine-incited excited delirium, which is not actually real science. But they say if we find these drugs in their system, that gives them superhuman strength. Uh, and so it, it, it excuses tasering them four or five times because they were on cocaine and it wasn't having the same impact on them that it normally would. Oh, their heart exploded. It's not because of the amount of abuse that we inflicted on them. It's because of the drugs. And quite frankly, in this case, because of how long they were alone with Ronald, turning off their cameras and manipulating their body, I don't even think that we can rely on the drugs allegedly found in a system. We've been in situations where someone's body has been manipulated so that it appeared that they were under the influence of drugs that they were not. We know that from what we see in that video, whether or not he was on, on drugs or if that was something that was planted within a system later on, his behavior didn't match the justification for the use of force. So we didn't see any superhuman strength where he was throwing police officers off of him. We didn't see him failing to respond to pain stimulus. We saw him very much in pain. And so all the excuses that they use uh, in blame on drugs, it's really not present. It's not, not affirmed by that video evidence. So Lee, I don't watch these videos anymore. I can't. Um, it caused serious PTSD for me, and I found myself not being able to sleep and the images and sounds continuously running in my head. And so I've had to stop watching the videos like you. We get them sent to us that folks in the world never see, you know, um, and it's just too many. I, I want to know, because I did not watch the video to the end, was Ronald Green killed outside that night where we see him by the police? Or did he die at a later time at a hospital or somewhere else? Officially, he died en route to the, um, to the hospital. But you can see in the video, uh, Ronald go from a very animated uh, state of where he's crying out in pain, where he's responsive to stimulus, uh, to where Christopher Hollingsworth, one of the abusing officers who, who since died, described him just going limp. And after he goes limp, uh, we don't. We think that uh, well, he never recovers from from that moment. We think that, that he was likely dead at that point, and you can see that happen on the side of the road. So we've been joined by um, Danelle Harding, uh, who we have seen on a number of shows, uh, so brave, um, and you know, speaking out on behalf of um, of her brother Ronald. And I want to thank you, Danelle, for joining us today. I know you all are dealing with a lot and. Um, it's, it's really important that uh, we take every opportunity possible to tell the story, uh, to tell the truth, um, because as we know, the media will try its best to misconstrue and, and to sort of shift the narrative. And so what we were, one, talking about is your family and your mind state, where you all are. And the question that I asked Alana, your sister earlier, is, is there a level of vindication that you're feeling in this moment? I understand that the grief um, is deep and probably even worse today um, than it was at, at the time two years ago that this happened. But I wonder if you are feeling vindicated because I heard you say we always knew there was more to this story 
than um, what was being presented. Did you ever believe that possibly the car, a car accident was responsible for Ronald's death? No, I did not. From, from the time that I saw my brother, there was no way he died from a car accident. I mean, as you can see, the bruises that was on his head and on his face, I mean, you can tell that Ron was face down. Um, I knew immediately that there was more to the story because it just didn't add up. So did, you did, you, did you go to, um, to um, identify the body when he was pronounced dead? Yes, it was my mom, my sister Alana, myself, and my daughter. And I know that, that must together. have been just seeing that sight. You know, me, he's not even a family member of mine, but just as a human, just seeing that sight, I know that must have been something that tore you all up. That's something that was pretty much very traumatizing. Yeah. 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 The first time I, I viewed my brother, I thought of Emmett Till, to be honest. Yeah. Like that was the first thing that came to my mind was like, wow. How long have you been involved, Lee? We got involved probably about a year later, around the um, the time of his first anniversary. Wow. Well, thank you, Lee. I, I, we we all appreciate you for the tireless efforts. And so, I guess the last part of, of course, we want to talk about where we go from here. There's a rally um, that's happening tomorrow uh, that I will be traveling to join you all and to be there in support um, of your family. Um, but I want to know more about Ronald. I know you said Alana, he was in the church. He was a Mason. Um, what are some other things that you want people, that both of you want people to know about him, his character, and why this makes the, the situation that has happened here even worse? His, his love for people and life was contagious. You know, his energy was just contagious and very powerful. I mean, as you look on Instagram, one of his videos, uh, it explains who Ron was as a person. You know, he poured into people's lives. And um, he was just that guy. I mean, he was everything. I can't even begin to explain. You would have to just view his videos. I mean, he's just, mom, he was the light of this world. Mm -hmm. Just the light. He was, he was amazing, a beautiful soul. And to live life without him has been very, very hard. Very, very difficult. He was my, like, advisor. I mean, I would always go to him and say, Ron, what do you think about this? He would always put a positive spin on things and say, hey, look this, look at it from this angle, you know. Um, he was just that, he was that guy. <laughs> Very positive. Ronald uh, was a true man of God. He loved the Lord. And you can see the love for just people. Didn't matter what color you were. If he saw you on yeah. the side of the street, he would give you his shoes. He was that guy who would say, hey, Pep, let's turn around. Let's go get them some food and bring it back. 
I mean, people, people will call him my twin because we were very similar in nature. And uh, he was, he, he, he loved his family every time that, that you saw him, um, you saw a smile. He would just call and check on you. Hey, I, I just want you to know I love you. I'm thinking about you. Like Woody said, like Danelle said, I'm sorry. He would always put a positive spin on everything. Uh, that's that sounds like a little that sounds like a little family name you you gave. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I'm sorry. I'm Pepper. Yes. Woody and Pepper. Uh, but Woody and Pepper. Pepper. Okay, and he always called me his baby sis. I was always, hey baby sis, how you doing? I love you. You need anything, let me know. We would pray together. Um, hmm. I actually, I have his Bible. He he was uh, he was a scholar. He went to college at the age of sixteen. Um, yeah, he was just an amazing person, and he will forever be missed. Wow. He, he and 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 I don't want to say he he is he was, but he always is. He's that person that no matter what, his spirit will always remain. Yeah. Yes. Um, Ronald Green is. That's that's a powerful. Ronald Green is. That's right. Yeah. So Lee, I'm I'm you know I'm getting my bags packed right now. We headed to the airport. Got we gonna be there. Talk to us. What do we need to do? Fire it up. What's what's the next move? Um, how what can happen that will at least provide some level of accountability? in this moment, you know, what should the clarion call be at this time, Lee? Well, two years after the fact, the family is now calling for what we would all expect if our loved one was beat on the side of the road by a group of thugs. They're calling for these men's arrests. Uh, the arrest of Corey York, the arrest of Dakota DeMoss, the arrest of uh, Lieutenant John Clary. Uh, these are the officers that we have already identified by name who are still living at the time. Uh, we expect arrest warrants to be issued from the par Union Parish a district attorney. That's where this event occurred. Uh, we expect for these men to be terminated by the Louisiana State Police Department. We expect it. We can't expect those things to happen two years ago. That would be normal because they have not happened. Uh, we're demanding that they happen this week. And that's the reason that we're showing up to the steps of the Capitol to put pressure on Governor John Bell Edwards, who could just give the word and have these men arrested by the Attorney General Jeff Landry. Uh, we're, we're also meeting with the district attorney there to see what what legal maneuvers can be taken to make sure these men are taken into custody and vigorously prosecuted. Uh, in, in the meantime, we're, of course, we're going after the policy of places like Louisiana. Uh, Thursday is the legislative day for, for NAACP, and we'll be talking about how the laws need to change. Uh, brother, um, uh, brother, my son brought up a minute ago uh, that we need more readily available access to these kind of body cam footage. We'll be pushing for policies like that. We'll be dealing with the policies uh, concerning uh, not only the, the, the release of evidence, but, uh, but uh, the cover-up and how we hold police officers accountable in the state of Louisiana. Well, well, we want to say thank you and let you know, like she said, we'll definitely be on our way to Louisiana to, to stand with you, stand for you, to uplift you know, the call for justice for Ronald. And um, we just want to say that our prayers are with you. Lee, continue to do the work. You know, we only a call away. And I'm God willing, you know, and I believe in God that, you know, we will get justice and we will get what we're supposed to get, man. Because when you, when you look at this situation, there's no way on God's green earth that this is justifiable. 
You know, I don't care. Like you said, if he had 66 packs in the front row of his car, this was supposed to happen. So, you know, we demand justice and God willing, we'll get it. Uh, and this is a moment when we all are pushing for accountability and for justice. And I just want to publicly say that we appreciate you and we acknowledge the work that you're doing. Um, and to, uh, I would say, the Green family for the purpose of this conversation, um, Alana Wilson and, and Danelle Harden, and to your mom and other family members, and obviously to Ronald Green's children, which I don't think we talk about enough. Um, you know, we want you to know that you now are our family, uh, that we support you, that we are here, um, that it is unfortunate that there is not a snap of the finger that any of us control to get what you need. And there's probably nothing that will ever take away the feeling that you all have and the fact that these images are out there and you are hearing your loved one in distress. But just know that you're not alone and that some of us are willing to give it all to fight next to you until there is some form of accountability for his life. So love to you. I'll see you all tomorrow. God bless you. And it's so good to hear that Ronald was a man that believed in God, that loved God, because in this show, we love God and we are not afraid to talk about it. Right. Yeah. Amen. Mika, my son, everyone, thank you all so much. And I, I do have to, take, you. I have to take my hat off to the Green family. You know, um, Ronald's family have, has been fighting the entire two years, right? I've been involved in the last year. Uh, and in the fight, they were with us in, on the March of Washington. They showed up to, uh, to places like Kentucky and even they fought on behalf of uh, Tatiana Jefferson in Fort Worth, Texas. And they, they've become now part of our community. And for the past two years, as cases uh, go viral and trend and people talk about it and there's justice and arrest and, and, and trials, they've had to wait their way up, uh, wait in line. Uh, and they've done so not begrudgingly, but adamantly fighting for other people. And so I'm so happy that the community now is get is gathering behind them and saying that we're going to fight for you all as well. You know, your fight, you guys have encouraged me so much uh, in helping, um, you know, uh, help navigate the families, give peace. Just, just in, on May 10, a couple of weeks ago, you know, the family of Darius Tarver, the family of Tatiana Jefferson, uh, and some and, and other families joined you all in Monroe, Louisiana. It was a small gathering with, without a lot of cameras, but you all were there fighting and organizing. It's the reason why we are here today. So thank you all so much for your diligence. We're going to get the cameras there tomorrow. So we're going to be blowing it up all day. Take care. Thank you all so much. Before we go to the next segment and have our special guests join, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsors. The final season of Power Book 2 Ghost is here, and no one's future is safe. After surviving a hit on her life, Monet, played brilliantly by Mary J. Blige, has to reckon with what led her to almost lose everything and to atone for the life she has forced her children to live. And on the other side of the coin, Davis, portrayed by the multi-talented Method Man, is suspended and on the verge of losing his law license. Desperate to survive, he fully embraces the criminal underbelly of his enterprise and finds himself working for both sides. Loyal to whichever one benefits him most. And then, of course, there's Tariq, who finds himself at rock bottom and facing threats from every angle. With his future in the game in serious doubt and his family's safety on the line, will he lean into the St. Patrick name and do whatever has to be done to get back on top? Like father, like son. Power Book 2, Ghost, the final season. Watch now, only on Stars and the Stars app. 
There are moments in life that are so special that you have to capture them and save them forever. They are one of those once-in-a-lifetime events like your baby's first steps, the first time you bring your family pet home, or your daughter's first dance performance. With iPhone 15 Pro, more storage means you don't have to delete anything that can become a lasting memory one day. And it's important to be able to share these moments with family members who weren't there to see them in person. Store more, share more, connect with iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T. Get iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T and get an iPad and an Apple Watch for 99 cents per month each. AT&T, connecting changes everything. Limited time offer requires 0% APR, 36-month agreement on each. Well-qualified customers. Other terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash iPhone for details. In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. When the NBA championship is on the line, every pass, every shot, and every dribble is immediately, undeniably consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, real blood, and real tears. Trust me, I know what it takes to bring home a championship ring. The regular season is tough, but these games are a completely different level. Now is the time when legacies are made. The best team will bring home the Larry O'Brien Trophy and add their name to basketball history. Will we see a battle between marquee franchises or will we see a new champion crowned? Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year? Their year. These are the moments of unscripted, pure entertainment that only happen on the hardwood. You've waited all season for this. It's time to take it to the next level. The NBA Finals continue. Tune in on ABC. That's how we own it! So today, we are joined by a brother by the name of Roger Bonds, who we have very many mutual acquaintances. I've heard about his story for a long time. A lot of my friends have come to me and, and, you know, try to explain to me, I never really got into the depth of what was going on, but I had a conversation with him the other day and I thought it was something that I wanted to bring to the show to highlight, you know, how you doing, Roger? How you doing, brother? How's everything? You know, we just, you know, we just trying to put up with it. We're dealing with so many things. Your, your situation to me was touching. You know, we had a conversation and my brother, Nigel, had hit me a while ago about it and he had told me about, you know, your, your son being, incarcerated in Africa for allegedly committing a murder right. for the last 10 years. And he was explaining to me about how the trial hadn't happened, how they didn't really have any evidence, they didn't have any witnesses, but he was still being held. And he was like, it was held illegally. And I was like, I didn't understand. So I want you to come try to give us some contents and give us, you know, just break down what exactly is going on with your, brother, your son. What is his name is Kevin Townsend? Yeah, Kevin Townsend is name. First of all, let me say thank you, man, for, for doing this interview and bringing this situation to life. He said, Pops, I'm going to Africa. They trying to get some models over there, this, that, and the other. I'm going over there. So, you know, a week later, his girlfriend calls me and says, yo, they locked him up for a marijuana charge. So I get on the phone. I talk to the lawyer. They said his bill is $300. I said, okay, pay that. I'm on my way there. He can get out. When I got there and I tried to get the passport, they snatched the passport back from me. And he said, no, now it's a murder charge. So what went from a $300 marijuana fine went to a murder charge. So I ran around Africa that whole week, not knowing nobody. I'm thinking I could get him out. You can't get him out on no murder charge. So I left. I came back three weeks later. The murder charge is still in. Now he has a co-defendant. So he went down to Africa with somebody. I don't know the cat, though. 
So I'm like, okay, so I'm talking to the lawyers and they say they don't have nothing. They don't have no gun. They don't have no DNA. They don't have no nothing. So I, I leave, I come back two weeks later. Now they got a gun barrel and now they got a silencer. So I say, yeah, where y'all get this gun barrel and the silencer? Oh, we found it in their hotel room. When you found it in the hotel room, you checked it and it wasn't there. They said, oh, we found it a week later. So now I said, okay, now they're going to start playing games. Because how are you going to say you found something with nobody being present a week later after you took them out the room? So, so my son told me later on that day, they came in and questioned him about the same situation. And my son said, I don't know nothing about that. So now they added that to the charge. It's so crazy because as we started this trial, their own ballistics man got up there and said, yo, the battle that I seen and the silence I seen never been used. It was brand new. This whole thing is not making sense. But it's been enough to hold them for over 10 years. And, and, and I've been to the embassy. People say, go to the embassy. I've been to the embassy so many times. To the lady at the embassy told me, my son was in solitary confinement for 90 days. So I went over to the prison. My son lawyer met me there and said, Mr. Rowan, I'm the one that got him out of solitary confinement. He was in solitary confinement for 18 months, 24 hours a day. He said, I'm the one that got him out. So I said, I went back over there. I said, wow, y'all haven't even been over there to see him. They said, yes, we have. He's the only one wearing his own clothes over there. He's doing good. I get over there, everybody wears their own clothes. So I said, have y'all even been to the jail? The American Embassy has been a joke, man. Outside of this, this gun that you say that they don't have any you know, that it hasn't been used. What else are they, the, the evidence that they have against your son to hold it for this long? They have none. We asked if they have DNA. There's no DNA. DNA is left everywhere. If my son was anywhere near this body, it would be DNA there. They have no DNA. They have no fingerprints. They have no eyewitnesses that ever seen my son with this guy. This is the, this is the joke. They got three guys when I went down there for trial. They took the stand and said they was the one that sold my son and the other guy the gun, right? So he said, how you know it's him? They said, because he got a tattoo with a big cross on it. So he's trying to go by Instagram now, different other pictures. So he says that my son takes off his shirt and he got a big chain, but he got a big Jesus face on it. So he says, that's not the same. Then he says, Okay, we sold it to him, but now all three of these guys say they had the gun and that they sold it to them, but no, none of these three guys ever got locked up. Come to find out, they all got open cases now. They had open cases back then, but the, the, the thing that boggles me the most is that they admit to having a gun and buying a gun from somebody, and they say in 10 years they haven't seen that person again. And this is the type of judge that we're dealing with down there. So this is why I wanted so many of these things. My, my wish was for this just to be known, to be talked about, to be asked about. I went down there, I did an interview with NBC and we tried to get it televised. They said, we don't televise court, you know, down here in Namibia. But I sat in my hotel room for three days and all they did was show televised trials. So I was just trying to get a televised saying, okay, this is the biggest case that y'all ever had in Namibia. 
two Americans charged with gang style murder of a white Caucasian. Why wouldn't you want this on your TV set? Why wouldn't you want to bring the money or bring the masses to watch this? It's the biggest thing here. But they don't want to be held accountable for what we would hold them accountable for. What, what about the, uh, the white person is, uh, I, I want to say special, if you will, right? What is it about this white person that, maybe there's nothing, but is there something that you can identify where they connected to an important family, where they- They are an important family. They are important. I'm glad you, you mentioned that. His name is Andre Heckemeyer. When I did my homework on it, I found out that they are a Caucasian family known in Africa from the 1800s. They own some restaurants and stuff down there that's very popular. Actually, on the first day that they came to court and I was there, they made all of their restaurants close and made all the black workers come to court just to show that they had people there. Of course, it's not like that now. But yeah, they're a rich family. You know what I'm saying? Um, the son went to a way to school in Sweden. He went to NYU for different things. So they're a very prestigious family. And uh, I spoke to Akon about the case, right? Because he was helping me out. And he mentioned to me, he said, Barnes, you know, they can actually hold this up for 10 years. I said, what you mean? He said, the family can hold this up. He said, it doesn't take nothing but a conversation and some money. And um, just the last two years, I've been paying this private lawyer, using this private lawyer, and he's like, yo, there is no case. There, there is no case. It's just the family being able to hold this up, and that's why they don't want eyes to be on this case, because there's no type of interruption, delay that can make you last for over a decade. How can we help? Because we just want justice to be served. You know, you if, if you want your son to be able to have his day in court, if they have evidence against him, you know, present that evidence. Let the people see the evidence that you have. Let the world know what's going on. You know, give him an opportunity. If he's sitting in jail for 10 and a half years awaiting a trial, he's already lost 10 and a half years of his life. So you can't give that back. So, you know, we want, we want you know, do, do you want to make sure that this trial is, is seen properly, that they're not able to continue to do these illegal things? Do you want the American embassy, the America to, to intervene and say something and try to find out why his civil rights are being violated? Right. Why his civil rights is being violated? And I feel like, I feel like we as a people, honestly, I feel like we pick and choose what we feel we want to get behind. You know what I'm saying? And I feel people at the higher ups, if it's not popular, you know what I'm saying, the politicians, though, I feel like the United States said, hold on, this kid's been locked up, this kid's been this, that, and the other, let's save this favor for some kid down the road that hasn't been in trouble, that comes from a prestigious family. Because they went, why wouldn't, why wouldn't you question these people? Why wouldn't you ask them, like, yo, this is 10 and a half years. The only crime that can hold that is murder. So if you find this boy guilty or anything less than that, he's done already did 10 and a half years. But he's sitting there and he looked at me and, and this is my eyes. I tell my son, always tell me the truth. I, I walked away from everything that I had, everything that I was doing with my, with my man and everything. I walked away from it because they said, you can't push that representing this brand. So the first thing I asked my son is son. And he said, dad, I didn't do this. 
You know what I'm saying? And you only got to tell me that one time. And then and, and now, I, now I don't have no choice. But for the world, I had to open it up and let the world see, no, this is what I've been going through. This is what I've been doing. I need your help to bring light to this case. Fortunately, people are looking for perfect victims, Roger. You know what I'm saying? They're looking for the person that's squeaky clean, that has the background that nobody can contest, you know? And unfortunately, those are not the victims that we deal with every day in our communities. You know, we come from the bottom. We come from times where, you know, you know, at some point we make mistakes, we engage in levels of crime, but that doesn't mean that we're not human beings. That doesn't mean that you get to throw us away and charge us with murders that we don't commit. You get to hold us in outside in different countries for 10 and a half years without any evidence of anything. So you're right, man, you know, and, and I commend you because a lot of people don't have the wherewithal and the energy to continue to fight. You know, a lot of people hear those no's and, and they see people falling away and, and they fall off by the waistline, man. So, as a, but I understand as a father, man, you're supposed to do everything you can to protect and save your son. So, you know, I just wanted to, I wanted to utilize my platform to be able to let your story be heard. And hopefully someone can hear, you know, what, what's going on, somebody who is in position who is can listen and say, let me get, let me take a look at this. Like, you know, you said you have a lawyer that pretty much is saying that, you know, they don't have anything, you know, and just listening to what you said to me, is just, you know, just somebody being in a situation, being somebody that's out of town. You know, I don't, I don't know the specifics of the case. I don't know whether he did it or not, but I know that he deserves a fair day in court. Wait, sir, that's all I've ever asked. Well, I appreciate you, bro. I just, I really just want to, you know, and I heard your story and we got a lot of mutual friends, like I said, that have been, you know, putting me up on it. Like, yo, you know, you need to help Raj listen to his situation. And then after we had a conversation, I looked into it. I was like, you know, something doesn't seem right here. I don't know whether he's innocent or guilty, but I know that being in jail for 10 and a half years, not having a trial, you know, and, and not being able to prove your day in court and given the right opportunity is something that just didn't seem right with me. So, you know, I wanted to give you an opportunity to share our platform. Once again, brother, I appreciate you and I and I salute you on your dedication, man, you know, because a lot of people don't have that, you know, and that's what we call as a father, you know, and as a man, you standing with your son and you're willing to go across to Africa and back, you know, to, to, to acquire his freedom. So, you know, hopefully, you know, justice will be served you know, and that justice will mean that your son will come home to you, you know, and you can't get that time back, but you could just know that you did everything possible and you stood by him in his worst times of need, you know, so I just want to salute you for that, man, and say thank you. I appreciate it, man. I thank you, man, for having me. Thank you for sharing your story with us, Roger, and we'll make sure to get it out there. Thank you. Yeah, so I, I hear him. a fair trial. I mean, I think that's that's all we all. That's all anyone of us can ask for. You know, we can't say he's innocent, guilty. None of us was there. But I think ten and a half years, you know, is outrageous for you not to have a fair trial, or any trial. Also, being in these other countries, like you know, their rules are very different from here. Not to say that it's so good in America, but uh, it certainly is different. And I was particularly um, struck by him saying that the American leg uh, embassy that they weren't really doing much at all, had not even really been visiting him. And so, you know, hopefully by creating more awareness um, that the right questions will be asked and the right answers will be there. Being falsely accused and sitting in a cell for seven years, I know how it feels to just be sitting in that cell feeling innocent and nobody cares. So I can't even imagine being in another country 
you know, under somebody else's jurisdiction and not even being able to held a trial. So, you know, you know, I wish him the best, man. You know, we come from the bottom, man. We come from the Bronx. We come from things. We come from places where we see these situations happen all the time. You know, if, if I had a dollar for every time when I was incarcerated and these young boys came to jail and I would listen to their stories and they would give you the, the trial minutes so you could read them or they'd give you the discovery. And you'd be like, yo, how did you get 20 years? How did you sit there 10 years with, with this evidence? They just didn't know. They didn't have money. They had public defenders that just wanted them to take pleas in situations like that. So, you know, you know, they, like I said, man, people look for this perfect victim. You know, they want it, they want it to be on tape. They want the DNA to completely prove you. You know, you we gotta go through so many things to actually be rectified and you know and be set free from crimes we didn't commit, man. And it's it's really unfortunate. Yeah, it is. It's, it's you know, you can hear a father's voice, you know, and you know that he's saying that. And I thought I think that was powerful. His son told him he didn't do it, so he's going hard. But uh, if he did do it, he has to face his 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 charges and or um, you know the the consequences like a man. And I think that's a hundred percent right. But he definitely deserves a fair trial. And that's all we can ask for, man. So once again, shout out to Roger Bronze and his son. You know, hopefully, hopefully we shed some light and somebody can look into the situation and get that man a fair trial. And whatever the outcome of that fair trial is, you know, he said he's willing to deal with that, but he just want his son to be given an opportunity to be treated fairly. You know, I just hope that Roger's able to get the justice for his child because being incarcerated, you know, for all that amount of time with no trial, I can just imagine that. Just me sitting there for seven years, you know, prison is real harsh, man. And that just brings me to my, I don't get it. Prison, because we talking about prison, and these PPE loans, right? You, if you're looking on the on the internet, there's a lot of you seeing people grabbed up for PPE loans and hundred thousand dollar loan. This person has spent a million dollars. They didn't brought cars. I don't get how anybody thought that the government was going to give them hundreds of thousands of dollars and not lock them up when they did something with that money that they were supposed to. I just don't get the mind state of anybody. I had conversations with a lot of these kids, PPP, my fault, the PPP loans. I had a lot of conversations with these kids from the hook they thinking they, I'm like, bruh, this is a paper trail. They sending you this money, you cashing these checks, you going to jail. Like I said, for the next year, they gonna spend the, all the time that they locking people up, cause that's what they do. In the hood, they come do sweeps. You know, they sweep whole gangs. So now the PPP is the new sweep. They coming to get 50 a yard at a time. Everybody that was involved with these PPP loans is going to prison. I just don't understand how anybody thought something different. All I say, and I'm not gonna get deeply into it, is God bless them. And that I hope when they lock up ours and our young people and our communities, that they also go and lock up the ones who get the real PPP loans, um, which are these big time corporate. They're going to do that. They're going to use us as the scapegoats. How many times we know our, our friends in Miller T. Davis 
who did 10 years and the person who taught her how to do whatever she did got two years. It yeah. don't work like that for the I black agree. man. No, and I agree. And I think that's the messaging that we have to put out there is that there's no balance. It'll never be. It's if never going to be. But I think we have the right to say it. I mean, we could say it, but I'm just going to be realistic. Young king, young queen, the PPP loan is put you in prison. Put person in prison. <laughs> That's what it is. It, 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 just put the black in front of it. Put black person in prison. Because that's all they're trying to do. They're giving you all this money. So yeah, 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 yeah. And you're going to run around and, and you're going to rebuild the economy. You're buying cars and you're doing all this. And you're getting a federal number. That's it. So I just never really got it, man. I hope, I'm praying that you wasn't dumb enough to go out there and get no PPP. I'm praying that nobody talked you into giving your social security number or sending something to your bank account or using your cash app or nobody talked you into that because you're going to jail. So I hope nobody talked you into that. I'm praying. I'm praying for all y'all. Every time I look at this news and I told people, people ain't going to stand up for you. The girl that you said she she got a good job and she got the good bank account and you use her social and told her you're going to sit into her account and you're going to break her off. She going to tell on you, champ. She not risking her life so that you could be free. It ain't going to happen. You know, so I hope that, I, I pray that a lot of y'all didn't do it. And the ones that did do it, man, you know, I'm praying that you're able to do the amount of time and the restitution that you're going to have to pay, man. So I'm praying for you, man. And with that said, this brings us to the end of another show. I'm not going to always be right. Tamika Mallory's not going to always be wrong. She's going to always want to be my mother and control me and run and say, how you talk and do this shit? She's going to do all that. But she ain't going to always be wrong. But we will both always, and I mean always, be authentic. That's how we own it. That's how we own it. That's how we own it. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, now streaming only on Hulu. In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. Every pass, shot, and dribble is immediately consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, blood, and tears, real legacies. Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year their year? You already know when and where to find these moments of unscripted, pure entertainment. The NBA Finals continue. Tune in on ABC. There are moments in life that are so special that you have to capture them and save them forever. They are one of those once-in-a-lifetime events, like your baby's first steps, the first time you bring your family pet home, or your daughter's first dance performance. With iPhone 15 Pro, more storage means you don't have to delete anything that can become a lasting memory one day. And it's important to be able to share these moments with family members who weren't there to see them in person. Store more, share more. Connect with iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T. Get iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T and get an iPad and Apple Watch for 99 cents per month each. AT&T, connecting changes 
everything. Limited time offer requires 0% APR, 36-month agreement on each. Well-qualified customers, other terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash iPhone for details.